0: Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, Dan. Chris, good to have you. Um, this week, we're going to pick up on a, on a topic we started on last week, a little bit about housing. Um, in our conversation, we discussed last week, uh, new, we uh, discussed weakness in new home sales. Yesterday, it was announced that the
1: first housing price decrease we've seen in three years. How much pain lies ahead for housing? Yeah. Unfortunately, we, we are going to see some uh, price declines. And while that may be atypical, we, we are not set up for a situation similar to what we saw in the 08 housing crisis. It's just a completely different setup. Um, in 08, we certainly saw price declines, but we had a lot more structural issues, meaning credit and mortgage availability was very loose for a number of years going into that housing crisis. We overbuilt, we created way too many homes in the process. And so we had to work off not only a lot of inventory, but there just wasn't as much credit available to even work off that inventory. So it was a very difficult adjustment process. Very different situation today. Um, it's, you, know, you can point to the last 10 years, and it is not an understatement to say that financing was incredibly tight, incredibly difficult, that we had underbuilt homes by several hundred thousand per year, and at the same time, the demographics improved dramatically. So we came into this environment with structurally low uh, inventories, structurally building demand with household formations, and unfortunately, a combination of the zero interest rates, the extreme wealth creation in the stock market and uh, across the economy writ large, and, and the stimulus payments just led to an overshoot on underlying home prices over the last 18 months or so. So I think we're going to give that back. But other than that price adjustment, that is going to be all that's necessary to kind of rebalance supply and demand. Inventories were incredibly tight Coming into COVID and exiting COVID, so yes, uh, you know, months of inventory uh, on the market are spiking. But keep in mind, you really need to be looking at absolute levels. Yes, institutional players came in and heavily influenced the market, and they're backing away. All of those things are true, and we are going to have a housing recession, and housing prices are going to decline. And but think of it as a normal kind of recessionary condition and, and cycle and not, we're going to have to work off this crazy structural bubble and kind of rebuild, uh, the legs underneath the housing market.
0: Um, another one today, something that we've talked about again, you know, at at length, uh, but you're looking at European energy, um, at this point, it seems like there's two different narratives that we're going through the market um, with respect to the energy crisis that Europe faces. Uh, one is that the crisis will be of you know historical proportions, and then the other is that the risk is completely overblown. Um, natural gas storage in Germany and across Europe in total, um, they'll be full before winter. Um, so again, you know, you know, what's your view of the of the risk that Europe faces, and what do you think the potential outcomes for investors should expect?
1: Yeah, so you know, I the Investors need to realize there is a very serious uh, risk to economic activity in Europe. Um, there are, there's already been a lot of damage done. There will be credit losses. There will be bailouts. And unfortunately, and this is not unique just to Europe, this is playing out in China and the U.S., we have serious sovereign debt issues that limit the ability of governments to intervene and, and, and provide support and ultimately may add to the crisis. But let's be clear, um, you know, Europe and, and Germany most likely will be close or at full storage for natural gas. But that does not mean they're in the clear. It's a combination of storage levels relative in, in conjunction with actual flows that will allow them to get through the winter. And it current flows, and unfortunately, uh, you know, they've been cut off uh, in some areas today. But where we have been flowing, even if Europe reaches full storage, they will run out of natural gas in the first part of January. Now, there's there's puts and takes to that. There's conservation measures that can be taken. I think what investors need to be aware of, there's, I think, two primary risks. One is... The linkages within supply chains and the nature of industrial production, especially around chemicals and raw products, you can't just shut down a plant and start it up. And there's going to be chain reactions as businesses close that it impacts businesses downstream or upstream. So the ability to see disruptions in supply chains and issues develop and credit issues develop are there already and they're not going to go away the more kind of fat tail risk within Europe is, are they going to be able to manage and operate the grid? The grid in Europe is very interconnected. There's certain countries, um, I believe Spain probably has sufficient natural gas, whereas maybe Italy doesn't. France, if they can get their nukes up and running at full capacity, then that can provide some buffer. But There's still a lot of reliance on renewables, and depending on the nature of weather events and the nature on stresses on the grid, it's going to be very difficult and challenging to balance the load across the grid. And when you get into those situations, that's when you see uh, kind of cascading blackouts or grid failures. So I hope that remains a fat tail risk, Um, but those things are very real risk out there. You just cannot underestimate the economic damage that's already been done. Um, just because we haven't seen it yet, it hadn't been reported, doesn't mean we haven't already seen a lot of economic damage. And we're seeing it. Like businesses are shutting down, bills are going unpaid. Um, and it's going to be interesting what, what impacts politics play. And we'll see fairly certain. We're having a lot of politicians come out saying they're addressing it. If they come out and address it by subsidies and making demands and and uh, pointing fingers at certain companies, then we know it's just politics. Um, but you know, cold and hunger has a way of focusing the mind, and they're going to have to come up with some elements to try to get through this. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to see what they do.
0: So thinking about um, some other themes that we've gone through, a few other visit. Uh Ideas that we'll revisit. Um, you had previously said that we need to let the cycle cycle in order to see the nature of the current recession. Um, but you know, given where we are today, you know, are there contextual elements to this recession that are different from prior recessions?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest difference, as I mentioned, is the the looming sovereign debt crisis. So if you look historically, post the systemic, you know, real estate driven credit bubble. Uh, it, eventually, they always socialize the losses. And then at some point over the next decade or so, you end up um, having a sovereign debt crisis. So that's where we are. We just happen to lay on top of that an energy crisis as well. So what's different? Like, you know, we need to see what moves politicians make and the impact it's going to have. So we were just talking about the, the difficulty that Europe faces as far as energy supplies this winter. Well, they have kind of three choices if it turns out to be an incredibly difficult environment. You know, they can have a severe recession slash depression and major dislocations and economic growth and risk, you know, death and, and kind of mayhem. Or they can say, you know what, we're not interested in that um, and kind of give the Heisman to the US and their sanctions and cut a deal with Russia and say, we'd rather be able to heat our homes and feed our children. And we're not interested in NATO as much as we were in the past. So you're gonna see these decisions be made and forced upon countries and, and societies. And as I said, cold and hunger focuses the mind. So you know your, your enemies and allies can shift rather dramatically. For US investors, I think what's interesting this time, um, you know, the Fed is talking a tough game. Look, I'd take it all with a grain of salt. Either they don't understand the situation they're in, and so they're just talking a nice political narrative that they're going to beat inflation and play tough. Um, or they do understand the such situation they're in, and it's a great soundbite, and they know they're going to have to pivot soon enough. But a pivot does not mean the market's going to be okay. The next Fed pivot is not going to be because, you know, we're going to put, put Humpty Dumpty back together and earnings are going to be fine and multiples are going to expand. The pivot's going to be because they break the Treasury market. The U.S. is going to have an incredibly difficult time funding deficits. Deficits are going to widen materially. Tax receipts are going to fall dramatically. And there is very little liquidity in the U.S. Treasury market. We've already seen the U.S. Treasury talk about buying back bonds in the long end because of lack of... um Liquidity. And we know we can look at the Fed's balance sheet. They're the biggest hedge fund or SNL savings and loan on the planet right now. And they're getting ready to enter into a negative carry. So the Fed's going to need a bailout in the federal budget. And the Treasury's going to get the money to bail out the Fed by the Fed generating the bank reserves via QE. So we're getting into this weird environment. And it's all going to come to fruition, I think, over the next uh, few months. So I do think it's different. So in this case, we may see liquidity ramp up before we see sufficient cooling in inflation and the economic damage from a recession, which is very unusual. Uh, but like we said, we got to let the cycle cycle and we don't need to get ahead of, of any of these actions. We just need to know where the pressure points are and wait for those decisions and choices be made.
0: Uh, last one for today. Um, Looking out at the S&P, so for 2022, 2023, S&P is expected to have earnings about $227 and $245, respectively. Um, if we are going to experience a full recession, you know, what do you think the downside is for earnings estimates um, and the S&P price level?
1: Yeah, I think this is the biggest debate in the market. And it's a question of we've seen a material downside from the peaks in, in the S&P and the NASDAQ since November. Um, and there's been real multiple compression. So clearly the market has decided either A, earnings are coming down and we're going to beat inflation so we can keep the current multiple so everything's fine. That's kind of your bull case. Or this is typical of where we are during these slowdowns that lead into a recession, which is multiples compressed because growth slows, and then we figure out what the earnings are going to be and the market falls further as it Chases down to estimates, but kind of keeps the current lower multiple. Um, I think there's a couple of ways you can look at this. So, um, you know, let's take uh, 2021's earnings, which were about $208 on the SP. Uh, 2022's estimated to be 227. We're not going to hit that number, but that's fine. Let's just blend the two and then go, okay, that's 217. Now, what would a downside number look like? We've got to remember that stimulus payments in the form of checks to households and PPP loans was, were free money that went into the U.S. economy. That money went into the revenue of publicly traded companies, and there's no associated wage expense or even interest expense associated with those payments. It was literally free money that, that flowed through p and And what we saw with, if you look at all publicly traded companies, operating margins increased on the order of 20 to 30%. So if let's just assume we're just gonna normalize margins and we're gonna use this blended figure of 207. Okay, if we do that, that gets us to 150. Well, if you put 150 and you look at where we're trading today at about 39.80, you know, you're already at 26 times that number. If you say, yeah, but we're going to beat inflation. Okay, let's put a 20 multiple on that number and say, maybe it's a depressed number. We're going to trade it 20 times that. That's 3,000. So that's about, you know, 25% lower from here. And if you think you need to get to 16 times that number, then you're looking at about 2,400. But let's say you don't want to think about it that way because that's too distorted a figure. You want to look at what normalized earnings are going to be on the other side of a recession. Fine. Let's go back to what we made in 2019, pre-COVID, pre-any of this, and let's assume we're just going to get what the economy can generate, kind of this normalized 6% or so earnings growth. In 2019, we made 163. So if we grow that at 6% for two years... That would get us to about 180, 185 in earnings. 20 times that number, again, assuming we kind of beat the inflationary boogeyman, would get you about 36 to 3700. If we traded 18 times that number, get you to 3300. If we need to trade it 16 times that number, because that's going to be a forward estimate on 23, then that gets you to about 2900. So, you know, it's just math. And we're going to work out the excesses. My personal opinion is if we get to a full-blown recession and we get to an earnings recession and you get the normal issues in and around the credit markets, then I think you can put a target price on the S&P of 3000 plus or minus 10%. So we may have some wood to chop here, Dan. Yeah. I'm
0: going
1: to take the plus 10% side (laughs) and we'll chop
0: some more more wood. So, all right. Well, tough one to end on here, but uh, we'll wrap it up. And we'll get you back in, and hopefully we'll uh, have some better news next round. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson. or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.